Welcome to Keith Tonight. Don't tread on anyone in the Libertarian Institute. Today, I'm joined by Jim Bovard to discuss his new book, Last Rights, The Death of American Liberty. Mr. Bovard, where is the best place for people to find this book and uh, purchase it? Uh, Amazon is the best place right now. It might be in bookstores later in the coming months, but for right now, Amazon's a good bet. Uh, so uh, some other websites are running it. I think Barnes & Noble, uh, Books a Million, places like that. Um, Amazon, um, you know, offers free shipping if you're prime. Uh, so I don't know. That's, uh, that's where I get them. Sounds good. Links to it will be in the description below. The Death of American Liberty. What would you say liberty is if you really had to narrow it down? Uh, the absence of government coercion. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, coercion in your daily life from if you choose to, um, you know, uh, take contracts or live with people who beat you or stuff like that. You know, uh, that's a violation of your liberty and your rights. But um, what I focus on is the threats to freedom from government, because it's a lot easier to get a handle on that. In your book, you say. Federal law enforcement agencies arbitrarily confiscate more property from Americans each year than all the bur burglars steal nationwide. What evidence do you have for this, and what are you referring to? Hey, I saw it in the Washington Post. It has to be true. Um, there was a, there, there are studies um, that uh, look at the total amount of confiscations by federal agencies under the Asset Forfeiture Program, which is confiscation, uh, civil asset forfeiture means that they're seizing property even though there's been no criminal conviction. That the cops make an, as a government agents make an accusation and that's all they need to seize your property. And the, and, and the other side of that equation is the estimated losses from burglars. I think that's compiled by maybe the Bureau of Justice Statistics or some other sources. Uh, I love this because you say, look, uh, government is not the only criminal to look out for, but it's certainly the biggest one. So you compare and contrast uh, private burglaries versus, uh, versus state confiscation. You said the IRS pilfered more cash from private banks accounts because of alleged paperwork errors than the total looted by bank robbers nationwide. What is it that the IRS is doing to where they can... Uh, get people's money like this just out of uh, paperwork errors? Yeah, this is the kind of thing that makes me cynical. So there's an IRS regulation that says if someone uh, withdraws slightly less than $10,000 or deposits slightly more than or slightly uh, less than $10,000 in cash to their bank account, that's considered to be structuring. And the, uh, the Bank Secrecy Act of 1970 which made it a federal crime for banks to keep secrets from the government. But uh, one of the provisions in there is that it prohibits uh, structuring uh, the um, deposits and withdrawals in a way to evade federal reporting requirements for bank accounts. And so what the FBI, uh, what the IRS did is go in and see, uh, simply look at bank accounts for businesses mostly, and saw that there were a lot of service type businesses that had a lot of deposits either right around that $10,000 reporting uh, benchmark, but just under. So the IRS just kind of came in and seized their money with no evidence. Um, it was a huge scandal. Uh, there were a number of investigations. 
and the IRS was eventually forced to back down. You also mentioned federal bureau. Oh, okay, this one just drives me up the wall because it makes me so sad to see all the homelessness in America. You say federal bureaucrats blocked landowners from farming or building on a hundred million acres of their own property because of puddles, ditches, or other suspected wet spots. What is this in reference to? This is in reference to federal wetlands policy. The Clean Water Act in the early 1970s uh, claimed jurisdiction uh, to prevent uh, pollution of uh, the uh, nation's waterways. What the EPA and other federal agencies have done is claim that that also includes wetlands because that's kind of like the waterways, even though there's no chips on them. But uh, once, but you know, it's it, it's pretty clear what is a river, or and even what is a creek. It's not so clear what is a wetland is, and so you had the feds coming in and saying that land that was dry for 320 days per year was a wetland because for certain weeks it had a lot of rain and then there were some puddles, and so you had the feds coming in, and this is a huge issue for farmers because there'd be areas on a farmer's uh, turf that might uh, have some ditches or gullies or stuff like that where the water would collect. And you got the federal inspectors coming in and saying, well, this is wetlands, so you're you're prohibited from farming in this entire area. Um, And there have been so many Supreme Court cases back and forth on this. There was a case that decided in uh, May or June, the Sackett's case out of Idaho, and this is this is a couple that had bought a um, a plot of land for their retirement home back in 2007. They started to build. EPA came in and threatened, I think, fifty thousand dollars a day fine if they kept building. So they stopped. They went to the Supreme Court. They won in 2012, and then uh, they thought their nightmare was over. Nope, no such luck. Feds came in again, and so they had to keep suing thanks to the Pacific Legal Foundation, helped them out and made it possible. But the, the um, Supreme Court ruled nine to zero that the feds had mistreated these uh, homeowners and so uh, these landowners, and they are able to proceed now. But there are so many other people, other cases like this around the nation, people whose lives have been turned upside down because of these arbitrary wetlands policy. One of my favorite examples on this is something called the glancing geese test. Now, this is something which the uh, federal bureaucrats pulled out of their fill-in-the-blank uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so the uh, feds would claim jurisdiction over private land if there were a migrating ge- geese who flew over and glanced down at a water hole there or a puddle and thought about stopping but didn't stop. So the only thing that was necessary for the government to claim jurisdiction was to have a geese glance at the land. There is an amazing dichotomy that uh, Tom Hartman, the popular progressive, points out to us. He says, look, either we could have a government where people are voting or things are just run by billionaires. What do you think about that dichotomy? Either everyone is running things and really chipping in and having a say, and then there's the alternative to that, which is only billionaires calling the shots. Well, I think of uh, Zuckerberg uh, buying the 2020 presidential election with all of his uh, handouts to the uh, you know big city uh, you know uh, offices to go out and uh, sign up ballot harvesting and stuff like that. 
Um, it's it's an unfortunate dichotomy, I guess, being old fashioned. What I'd like to see is a government under the law, no matter who is supposedly running it, government under the Constitution, government compelled to respect citizens' rights. But, you know, that's pretty damn archaic at this point. When you think of examples where uh, liberty really flourishes, uh, do certain uh, times in American history come to mind? Is it other countries? Is it the degree to which people have freedoms in certain countries? What are your empirical examples of liberty working for the masses or being very beneficial? Oh, good. excellent question. Um, I think if you look at early American history, especially before the Civil War, you had a much lighter government with a huge exception of slavery, which was a great blemish on the country. And um, and you had groups, women in uh, many areas or in cases were not, did not have the full right to own property or contract. But aside from those two huge caveats, um, you had vastly more freedom. You had more prosperity. Uh, you had people building up uh, lives of their own. And for the 1840s and uh, 1850s, you had a relatively low tariff barriers. So the U.S. was a lot more connected to the world markets than it had been before or afterwards. And certainly until it was, you know, until uh, long after World War II. So. When it comes to uh, how you differentiate uh, any discussion with, you know, say you're talking to a well-intended conservative, what is it that you'd say to them as to why they should take their worldview and extend it, you know, to have this principle of, you know, they're usually Christian, they say, thou shall not murder, but they give the government this total blank check to murder. I mean, God commands thou shall not steal, and they advocate mass theft. But if any other group did what the government did, they'd obviously see it as theft. So when it comes to your message to conservatives, what do you tell them as to why they should reconsider uh, their position? Oh, uh, good question. Um, I talk about things like asset forfeiture because most conservatives do not have a um, uh, uh, most conservatives are like most people that they don't have a lucid recognition of how the government is violating individual rights. And the asset forfeiture is a wonderful example because like I was writing in the book there about the uh, DEA, the, the, the DEA and the TSA team up at airports. And if someone is transporting more than $5,000 in cash, then the uh, DEA and the TSA, TSA decide, well, you know, this is probably drug money, so we're gonna seize it. Uh, uh, there's a formality sometimes what they do is bring in a, a drug, a narcotics dog who sniffs at the money and then says, oh, yeah, that proves it. Some of the gun's a drug dealer, uh, even though the vast majority of currency has micro traces of cocaine that would or other drugs that would trigger a, a canine alert. And besides that, the dogs aren't trustworthy. But uh, so the asset forfeiture is one example. Uh, the, the gun control is another example. There was a case here in Maryland, uh, you know, within 10 miles of where I live, six miles of the uh, local SWAT team killing a, um, a, a young libertarian-leading gun owner in a pre-dawn raid for no good reason. I wrote about that a lot. I wrote about it in this book, um, but, you know, people didn't want to hear about it. But it's something which if you're um, – there are reasons why folks – should favor uh, transparent government and government officials on a leash. We don't have either at this point. 
And how does that differentiate from your message to progressives or Democrats when you're trying to uh, explain the importance of freedom to them? Drugs. <laughs> no, there's, I mean, there, there are a lot of examples. Um, okay, so uh, again, the asset forfeiture stuff is great because you mm-hmm. had, the, had the government coming in there and saying, okay, if there was simply making an accusation of drug use or any tie-in, then that nullifies the individual's right to own property. Um, there was, I think, a DEA agent who, who said that the, the asset forfeiture law is great because you because um, it's not necessary for us to prove that the property is guilty. The owner has to prove it's been innocent. And if, if you're talking about a $100 bill, you know, uh, um, it's hard to know where it might have been 10 years ago. But there's the, the asset forfeiture stuff is fun because there was a case I discussed in there, the uh, Bennis case out of Michigan, uh, there was a uh, Detroit had a law that said that the um, if somebody was uh, had picked up a prostitute and they were parked along the uh, the city street and they were engaged in commerce, the, the city could seize the uh, car. And so you had the uh, Detroit police seizing thousands of cars a year under that law. And then there was a test case that came along because. It was a steel worker who picked up a hooker on the way home in part, and uh, turns out the car was co-owned by his wife. And, you know, so the innocent owner case came in there in perfect, uh, you know, uh, lucidity uh, because uh, she did not approve of her husband picking up the prostitute. Uh, The uh, Clinton administration Justice Department said, well, you know, uh, she should have done more to make sure her husband didn't abuse the car. I mean, this was not the standard that they used when they were investigating Bill Clinton. Um, so, but there are there are a lot of funny wrinkles in that case. The Chief Justice upheld the seizure based on some cases precedents set on piracy in the 1820s, uh, even though he didn't explain the parallel between piracy then and oral sex in the nowadays. And uh, my favorite part of one of the, one of the dissents was that the Justice John Paul Stevens uh, said that, you know, there are a lot of bad implications to this decision. And, and for instance, um, you know, with the way the law was written, if the uh, Bennis, the steel worker, had picked up the prostitute and kept on driving while she earned her fee, the car could not have been confiscated. And see, that's the way the Supreme Court decision encourages really reckless behavior. There is one of these stories that I uh, I can't read too many of them because they just drive me nuts. But here is a uh, Reason magazine. After oh, yeah. Minnesota retiree Geraldine Taylor fell two thousand three hundred dollars behind on her property taxes, Hennepin County seized her condo, sold it, and kept every penny to satisfy her debt. A case that the U.S. Supreme Court is considering asks whether this particular strain of government theft is constitutional. In 2010, Tyler, then in her early 80s and now at 94, moved out of her Minneapolis condo, which she owned, and relocated to an apartment in a safer neighborhood. Long story short, they just steal the woman's house. So, in response to this, you will often get something like, well, one, she broke the law that she knew exists. Second... If you have nothing to hide, basically don't be hiding anything. Just be transparent. And she ended up having to give up the condo and give the money to the state. So all is well because the law is being followed. What do you think about this more or less might makes right idea that people will often use? If 
You have nothing to hide. Hide nothing. Just follow the law and you'll be fine. Well, it's uh, it's almost like people pretend that the law is just. And some mm -hmm. laws are. Uh, but there was a huge scandal here in uh, nearby where I live, District of Columbia, Washington, D.C. They were doing uh, these kind of similar things. They were doing uh, tax auctions. Uh, the uh, private entities would purchase the right to uh, foreclose on the people who had fallen behind on their tax bills. And there was just horrendous abuse, insider abuse, failure of notice, all kinds of things. And the victims were lower income folks, mostly, uh, especially in, in the you know, uh, lower income, higher crime areas in DC. Uh, so it, it, it kind of got swept under the rug for a long time. These are folks who, who could not afford a K Street lawyer to kick the government down the street if they try to do that crap, like people that live would live in uh, the Palisades area of DC. So um, there's just all, you know, once you say that the government is entitled to disregard fair play, you're gonna have a lot of atrocities. Uh, there was one of my um, favorite examples in the book was what happened. The 2008 Farm Bill had a provision that was just, you know, it was a 700, 800 page bill, something like that. And there was one little paragraph that said that the, um, that the statute of limitation would no longer apply to the a collection of debts to the federal government. So what, what that did is unleash the IRS effectively, effectively to seize tax refunds from people who had, who the uh, IRS or Social Security Administration claim had been overpaid or their parents had been overpaid decades before. So you had cases uh, of, of people whose parents might have died young and the IRS and the Social Security Administration, IRS came in with no evidence and said, well, 30 years ago, you're, you know, the Social Security overpaid your mother uh, $2,000. So we're seizing your uh, tax refund. And it was just a onslaught of horrendous abuses. The Washington Post did some excellent pieces on this. And it, uh, you know, the feds basically backed off on that. But, you know, it, it's so obvious you're going to have horrendous due process abuses when you have that kind of law. But, hey, it worked out good for federal revenue. When it comes to propaganda techniques that people should be aware of, I'm, I'm curious what you think are the great propaganda techniques that people need to watch out for. The one that comes to mind while you're thinking of that is the concept of no costs. Or they will say something like, well, we're going to bring democracy to Libya. We're going to keep people safe by having a federal bureau of investigation. It's federal, so it's for everyone. A bureau, nice building, an investigation. What's wrong with investigating? You're just looking into things. So all these times we're going to stop Putin from taking over Eastern Europe. Well, they're just stopping him. There, there's no downside. There's no collateral damage. So that is the one that I always come across where they say there's only benefits. We should have universal free health care, which is as dumb as saying, you know, the military's free because the government pays for it. So this concept of them always saying that there's only benefits and no costs is what I think is the biggest propaganda technique. What are some of the ones you come across that people should watch out for? Well, that's a good example of a propaganda technique, and it works well for people that failed uh, mathematics. Uh, because if you, you know, there's there's always, uh, anytime you have the government forcibly intervening, there's going to be costs. And it's simply because the government can sweep the costs under the rug, 
or the government, the the, um, the, the pro-government media is going to ignore it, it doesn't mean the costs don't exist. Um, there, there, there was there were all kinds of appeals, especially after 9/11. Uh, you know, you're either with us or against us. Uh, you know, back when uh, George W. Bush promised to rid the world of evil, I knew America was screwed uh, because uh, you know you're you're basically unleashing um, total power, and you have the you know with the way that the um, Bush's appointees. Um, you know, seize that power as far as torture, as far as total surveillance, as far as launching wars on false premises. Um, I don't know why anybody would have expected a happy ending. Yeah, definitely seems like when you give people this blank check, they almost inevitably abuse it. And I think of, well, you know, if I were in their situation, I might do the same exact thing. I would be so tempted to take advantage. I mean, it's just so, uh, you know, self-serving to say, you know, if I were given a blank check, I'd put a small amount on the check. It's like, well, these people are such status and they love voting for it. So maybe I'm going to take uh, advantage of it. So the whole thing is not uh, necessarily, well, we need to elect different Democrats or Republicans, but instead privatize everything to where uh, people actually bear the cost of the downsides of how they act. When it comes to uh, privatizing things, I think of the importance of schooling uh, along with uh, private security. Uh when it comes to solutions, do you see the private sector filling in any of the uh, voids created by the state as far as people needing a genuine service like education or protection of their property? Yeah, uh, I've got a chapter in the book called Schools Gone Wild. And it was fun to, to walk through some of the crazy stuff the feds have done with uh, No Child Left Behind, for instance, which basically uh, encouraged states to lower their education standards and or to claim that they were making uh, adequate progress and therefore keep getting their federal grants. Then you had the um, Obama administration come in and actually set up uh, specific racial goals for uh, different races, blacks, Hispanics, whites. And in state after state, the Obama administration certified lower goals for black students and for white students. Now, if George Wallace had done this down in Alabama, People would have been outraged. And, and there were some NAACP groups and some black parents that were outraged by this, but it got swept under the rug. Then you've got the uh, Obama folks dragged in Common Core, which dragged down reading and math. It's made a complete mess out of the math teaching. And, uh, and then you had the teacher unions shutting, helping shut down the schools during the COVID lockdowns um, and just horrendous impact on minority and low-income students much worse than uh, other students because uh, the minority and low-income students were less likely to have uh, good internet access or you know, uh, parents to say, hey, pay attention, do your work, stuff like that. So um, yeah, I mean, and, and almost anything is gonna be better than that. I mean, I, I think back to my own uh, time in high school, it was one of the most brain dead times of my life. Uh, some people might think that the current book is an exception to that, but. Uh, <laughs> The um, and it was just you know um, getting out of the uh, mandatory schooling uh, environment was just it, it was like mental, mentally liberating, and I've heard the same from a lot of kids who were in government schools and then started to be homeschooled or went to private schools because um, 
you know, the, the whole idea that thinking people have to have a tenured government official blathering in front of them in order to learn a subject is like, where did this ever come from? Yeah, you would think that with such a high opportunity cost that, okay, property taxes pay for it and they call it free. It's not monetarily free, but just the opportunity cost alone of five hours a day, five days a week for 12 years. These kids better come out brilliant. We better have like only Elon Musk's coming out of these schools with all the time. They better be brilliant. And so much of what they learn is in spite of the teacher because they're looking up things on their phone, going to Wikipedia, Khan Academy. Even these free educational organizations have YouTube channels that uh, people watch, not to mention the Libertarian Institute is a great free educational archive on all things history, politics, and economics and philosophy. So it's just amazing the low standards people have for the violent sector of, uh, of politicians. That's a, that's a good point about the opportunity cost. And that's one thing that just mortified me looking at the, uh, for, for instance, No Child Left Behind, because you had all these kids squandering billions of hours taking tests that were uh, calibrated to produce BS results to, uh, to show adequate progress based on an ever lower standard. And, uh, you know, and just the, just the degradation. I mean, I, you know, uh, back when I was a teenager, um, there was a point where my love of reading kick, uh, came back after being schooled out of me. And, you know, as, as soon as you you have that love of reading good books and having to sit and listen to a hired government official telling you something and, and, and you're sitting there and every third sentence, you know, you want to say, no shit, can we move along? But you can't. you got to wait 12 years. You do, unfortunately. I remember AJP Taylor was giving an interview and he said, most schooling, uh, referring to history, is 90% true and 100% useless. And I thought oh, that's that is good. so perfectly said because I'm like, all right, it technically, okay, he sailed the ocean blue in 1492. That doesn't tell me anything about the importance of trade among nations or yeah. whether it was beneficial, you know, uh, on net or, uh, or anything. There is... Um, one of my favorite uh, quotes from Henry Hazlitt is, the art of economics consists in looking not merely at the immediate, but at the longer effects of any act or policy. It consists in tracing the consequences of that policy, not merely for one group, but for all groups. So what I want to do is go through a number of things that you mentioned in, the, in your book. Tell me the potential downsides or costs of these things, because they're sold to us as just inherently beneficial. First off, the Patriot Act. What are the costs or downsides of the Patriot Act? Well, uh, a major cost is unleashing the Justice Department and the FBI to uh, ravage Americans' privacy and their constitutional rights. And uh, the, uh, to see how easily the government covered up its abuses for many years and, and to see how little opposition there was on Capitol Hill, you had a handful of folks like Senator Russ Feingold who were very good. He was the only senator to vote against the Patriot Act. Um, but for the most part, it, it just showed that the uh, constant, you know, the uh, founding fathers assumed that people would have a spine. But, but the Patriot Act illustrated how easy it was for a president to make congressional spines disappear. Civil Rights Act. What are the downsides? Well, the Civil Rights Act, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's two points on this. One is the 1964 Act 
did prohibit uh, Southern states, prohibit all states, and it was especially impacting the South from having racial double standards. To uh, you know, to having basically a caste system and prohibiting people uh, from being treated uh, uh, equally based on their race or ethnic background. Uh, flip side is it, it was the, the act itself did not authorize it, but bureaucrats and later politicians basically contorted it to justify racial quotas and hiring quotas, and also to uh, uh, endlessly browbeat companies to lower their hiring standards in order to close the uh, gaps in the hiring. And so you had so many disruptions uh, for the American workforce, and that's continuing. It's just amazing how comfortable these people feel with putting massive obligations on other people as well as employers. Like uh, when I see 89% of you know elementary teachers are female, it never occurs to me to start you know, a male lives matter movement, or when I see 95% of people killed by police are men, it never occurs to me to say it needs to be 50, 50, half of the people killed have to be women or it's unjust. It's amazing that that just never occurs to me. I can't believe they've gotten that scam out. A, uh, another thing you mentioned, uh, well, I just want to cite this from the Cato Institute, the share of U S jobs requiring an occupational license increased from 5% in the 1950s to 22% in 2021. What are the costs or downsides of occupational licensing? Well, occupational licensing uh, devastates freedom of contract. It, it uh, makes it a lot more difficult, uh, to be uh, mobile, to move from one state to the other. If you're in a licensed profession. Uh, back, you know, 40, 50 years ago, there weren't that many occupations licensed. Now there's over a thousand. Um, and it's um, so often there's a lot of corruption in, in the licensing. It's, uh, there have uh, been some really entertaining scandals uh, for massage licensing. You can imagine the kind of bribes that get paid on that. Uh, but it, it's interesting. I've um, spent some time in Germany looking at the occupational job training system there. And uh, one thing that struck me was that there were there were only two occupations in Germany that are not licensed, journalists and prostitutes. Yeah. And I guess they find a difference. <laughs> you know, uh, people think that the massage thing is small. I went to doctors for, I think, 25 years because I was born with a brachial plexus injury, tons of pain. I assumed I was going to have to live with it. It was actually a massage therapist that got me out of that constant excruciating oh, pain. Great. So, uh, I mean, people think that this is just like some technicality that, oh, I, I just want to do this and really defy Joe Biden when I go get a massage, you know, just to relax after a long day. This actually determines whether or not people can get their foot in the door in an industry that they love. It means customers have fewer choices when there's more licensing. You have higher costs than you otherwise would have. And these pricks to think that they're so high and mighty by putting all these obligations on total strangers under the guise, of course, of always keeping us safe. When it comes to the TSA, Transportation Security Agency. Now, uh, what could be wrong? Transportation isn't wrong. Security isn't wrong. And agency, there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with the TSA? Uh, TSA has been a great source of comic relief for me for decades, ever since it was started. They've had so many scandals. They were, uh, you know, they, uh, 2004, I wrote for the New York Times about their nationwide looting scandal uh, because TSA brought all these, uh, bought a bunch of um, explosive uh, detection machines 
they were completely useless, gave all these false alarms. So when there was a false alarm, the TSA agents would have to search the luggage. Well, I wonder what happened. You had over 500 TSA agents fired if they were caught stealing, and the actual number is probably vastly higher than that. But the, and then uh, that led to other scandals. You had the whole body, uh, whole body scanners, which is basically taking a nude photograph of you, your federal dossier. The early models of that were uh, used radiation on travelers, and that's kind of like you know it's. Kind of an, and it was um, one thing that struck me was that the um, what sort of safety data did they have for using radiation on travelers? And it turned out that a fair amount of the data actually was was extrapolated from what happened to the people who had been in Hiroshima. And so I'm thinking this is a great basis for air, airport safety. And you know I've had a lot of uh, tussles with TSA over the decades. I was flying back from Portland, Oregon on uh, Thanksgiving 2015. I made the mistake of using hand sanitizer before the uh, flight, and I opted out, and the guy was doing the strip test here, and then he uh, lashed onto my hand and it gave a pot. Uh, he said it gave a positive alert. I said, a positive alert for what? It doesn't tell me. And, and so having glycerin, the, the glycerin and hand sanitizer was sufficient to trigger the explosive alert from TSA. It shows you how bad their system was, but because I got marched out and you had, had this TSA agent who basically tried to turn my family jewel into a pancake. And so it's like, you know, I need to do some investigating on this. So I, I hounded them, I pounded them, I got the videotape, I wrote about it for USA Today, and I've made it warm for them since then. <laughs> Have you... Uh I have been a net taxpayer. I write in my book for about 11 years now, um, and I have never once been thanked by a cop, soldier, teacher, or politician for being such a taxpayer. In the private sector, I'm thanked every single day for wherever I give my money. So uh, at a man of your age, I won't ask how old you are, but have you ever been thanked by any of these? I, I know it's a softball question, but have you ever been thanked by a politician for all the taxes you paid? Uh, never thanked for the uh, for the taxes. I have had some politicians say that they appreciate my articles. Uh, so um, I'd rather not. Okay, well, well no, yeah. no politicians. Thank you for all the taxes you've paid. It just drives me up the wall because we're constantly seeing that government is what, you know, keeps us safe from this constant war of all against all and really helps us get along. And I go, no, it's much more divisive. It creates a bunch of entitled, spoiled brats who, even though they get $6.27 trillion last year, no thank yous, no, hey, we're really working on making sure we spend this money efficiently. And sorry for all the homelessness. We're going to work on that. Sorry for all the crime. Never any apologies or thank yous. Yeah, and there's a wonderful saying uh, from 100 years ago, historian Henry Adams, he said, politics has always been the systematic organization of patriots. And this is what we're seeing in this country, especially the last 10 years, um, eight, nine years. And it's probably going to get worse uh, in 2024 with the election. Uh, so, and it's just, uh, there's so much acrimony and just people staying forever angry and it's us against them and it's like you know as rodney king uh said can't we all just get along back to potential downsides central okay. intelligence agency what is the downside of the cia 
Well, it uh, drag, helps drag us into foreign wars when, when after they overthrow foreign governments and everything turns to crap in a foreign nation. Uh, and the CIA has turned its efforts uh, against Americans as well. There was the, um, you know, the Operation Mockingbird. There were a lot of prominent American journalists on the CIA payroll. Uh, the CIA had a big role. Uh, no, uh, the CIA had some role in the Hunter Biden laptop cover-up. Um, a lot of uh, former CIA officials signed this letter that says, well, this is the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation operation with complete BS and helped influence the 2020 presidential election. Uh, the CIA is part of the deep state, and the deep state is, um, is becoming um, every, every presidency a bigger threat to American democracy. Yeah, I remember Joe Biden bragging about this. He goes, Five former directors of the CIA from both parties have concluded that what he's talking about is a Russian plant uh, on the presidential debate stage referring to uh, Hunter yeah. Biden's laptop. Yeah, Total that, lie. That was the final debate. And one of the uh, I've forgotten at what stage in the debate he made that statement, but it was a complete uh, fraud. And the FBI had validated the, that laptop. Uh, CIA should have known. But you had all these officials who wanted to get jobs in the Biden administration or else to get contracts. Uh, so and, and they signed off on that. Uh, I think it was Anthony Blinken who organized the uh, big letter to endorse uh, the Russian uh, the uh, Russian plot. And, you know, uh, last I checked, he was still secretary of state. Don't remind me. All right. The FBI, this one I'm a little more white-pilled about because you have people like Vivek Ramaswamy gaining popularity after he talks about abolishing the FBI. So we're getting a little change in public opinion. What are the downsides and costs of having the FBI? Well, you have a um, nearly all-powerful federal agency that's often exempt from the law and the Constitution. Uh, I wrote about the uh, FBI killing of uh, Vicki Weaver at Ruby Ridge, a mother holding her baby. Uh, the FBI director, Lewis Free, publicly attacked me on that in letters to the Wall Street Journal the Washington Times. Um, and I, I managed to get hold of a confidential Justice Department report, 500-page report, that basically proved everything I'd said about the case and showed that he was the one making false statements. But you, have, you still have all these politicians who put the FBI on a pedestal uh, Hale Boggs, a House Majority Leader, I think in 1971, said that it was basically profound corruption of uh, democracy because you had uh, so many people on Capitol Hill were visibly afraid to criticize or challenge the FBI. And here we are 52, 53 years later. I think we've got the same situation. There's a handful of folks on the, in Congress who will challenge the FBI, but basically we don't know what they have done. We don't know what their role was in January 6th in the uh, Capitol clash. And there's all kinds in uh, the FBI and other federal agents agencies. Uh, it's amazing um, how much Americans don't yet know about that when you've got uh, judges or secretaries of state claiming that justifies and uh, uh, justifies them nullifying voters' choice uh, in 2024. Yeah, and the uh, Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot. Oh. I remember hearing that and saying, oh, yeah. oh, they caught it before it happened. Huh. I'm going to have to look Just into that lucky. one. Just lucky, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wrote about the initial court verdicts on that. Uh, the feds went back and, you know, 
Um, what can I say here that would not be too inflammatory? Let's just say that the, the feds worked very hard to get a different verdict than some of the other uh, accused plotters. Uh, and uh, they managed to get some convictions, some not. But th that whole case was a travesty. You had, you know, it's just before the 2020 election. And you have this stuff, again, uh, made whole cloth by the feds and uh, ludicrous case. I mean, but, you know, we've seen a lot of those since 9-11, uh, often targeting Muslims or minorities. Um, it's a mess. Yeah. And uh, wasn't uh, Randy Weaver uh, set up by an FBI informant selling him like a sawed off shotgun by just a quarter inch? Yeah, he was set up by an ATF informant. ATF uh, informant. That's yeah. right. Uh, and, and, two and more. Set up by ATF and then the U.S. Marshals killed his 14 year old son by shooting him in the back. So and then the FBI arrived. <laughs> two more on uh, <laughs> on this section. National Security Agency, downside of the NSA. Ah, uh, the death of the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment protects, uh, you know, uh, Fourth Amendment recognizes Americans' right to privacy, uh, you know, from uh, and to be exempt from warrantless, unreasonable searches. NSA vacuums up everything. Uh, in the last few years, the FBI has been caught uh, doing uh, illicit searches of over 3 million Americans. We don't know how many more there might have been, but that's thanks to the NSA vacuum cleaner. And uh, I, if I remember uh, Oliver Stone's research, he's usually good on an issue like this. I think James Clapper just lied under oath with regard to the PRISM documents that Edward Snowden released. Isn't that the case? You have the director lying under yeah. oath about what the NSA is actually keeping us safe and what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's important to understand how the laws work. Uh, perjury is a crime unless you're a federal official. Final example, the Drug Enforcement Agency. Now, I don't want to live in a society full of a bunch of drug addicts shooting up heroin all over the place. What's wrong with the DEA? Well, you know, there's another agency that doesn't like me. I'm just, you know, I failed to, you know, you know, uh, uh, back when I was young, my father gave me a copy of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. But and I have utterly failed on that score here in D.C., I was denounced by the head of the DEA, I guess it was about 30 years ago, because um, I wrote it, because I went down to Guatemala, talked to a bunch of business folks and others down there about how the DEA was uh, wrecking farming, how they were uh, poisoning crops and disrupting things. I came back and wrote about that. The DEA chief says, you know, basically, uh, I was a damn liar. And then the following years, of course, there was one DEA scandal after another in that part of the world. But, um, DEA is, is it's another agency that's exempt from the law, and um, and so it can pick and choose who it wants to prosecute. Uh, I mean, federal drug laws. I mean, the, the the ATF. If you want to buy a firearm, you have to fill out this form uh, to say you're not a current user of uh, of illicit narcotics, including marijuana. And so you've got 20, 25 million gun owners. Uh, who also use marijuana, which is legal in most states now, but it's prohibited by the feds. So uh, the feds have a pretext to drop a hammer on uh, gun owners and, uh, you know, vast numbers of gun owners if they want to do that.
Did you ever read the CIA's A Study in Assassination? I think it was uh, written in uh, 1953, the year before they went to Guatemala and practiced assassinations there. No, I haven't read that. Yeah, this is just amazing because you got him dead to rights and a, a significant portion of it is actually dedicated to how to cover up uh, assassination, but it's referred to as just a study. Of course, they're never going to use it, except when they explicitly used it with Patrice Lumumba in the Congo in 1961 based on Eisenhower's orders. So it's just incredible. Time and time again, we have extremely high standards for the private sector and the complete opposite for the state sector. I want to finish up by asking, uh, what were some of the books you read at an earlier age that convinced you that libertarianism was the uh, correct way to uh, approach the world? Um, Hayek's Road to Serfdom had a big impact. Uh, and it's funny, that was something I learned about because William F. Buckley came to my college campus, or I was attending college before I dropped out, Virginia Tech. And he was touting that book that I had not heard about before. Milton Friedman's Capitalism Freedom had some impact. Hayek was had a lot bigger impact. Um, I was interested in, uh, you know, I was following, I was coming of age in the um, 1970s and I was watching the, uh, I watched the Nixon administration collapse because of its lies and cover-ups. Uh, I saw the war in Vietnam collapse after all the lies and cover-ups. I saw the U.S. currency uh, collapsing from inflation, and the um, and the government was just seemed so utterly untrustworthy at so many levels. And I was thinking, hey, there's got to be a better way. Excellent stuff. The title of the book is "Last Rights: The Death of American." Liberty. Find it on Amazon. I will link to it in the description below. Thanks to everyone for watching Keith Knight. Don't tread on anyone in the Libertarian Institute. Mr. Bovard, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me on.